Will you turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 1? Psalm 1 can be found in your pew Bibles on page 843, Psalm 1. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our Lord stands forever. Um, If you haven't noticed, we are not continuing in in the book of Genesis. Uh, I decided it might be beneficial for us during the summer season to go through a variety of different types of psalms. Uh, Psalms are like songs. They have genres. And uh, the different genres in this book of psalms helps us, informs us as to what exactly this psalm is communicating. Um, And so this uh, month and the following month, we're going to be going through a variety of different kinds of psalms. And Psalm 1 is often called a a Torah psalm. Uh, Torah is the same word that we use for law. But if you read Psalm 119, the word Torah is um, interpreted or it's translated in a variety of different ways because there's a a broader usage of the word Torah. Torah can be law. It can be, uh, it can be um, wisdom. It can be um, your instruction, your teaching. So there's a, 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 a broad use here. And, and, and Psalm 1 is, is a wisdom psalm. It's, it's a psalm that's rooted in, in the kinds of teachings that you find in Proverbs and other places in the Psalms. That idea of wisdom and law blessing, righteousness, wickedness, the contrast there. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 1 this morning, the wisdom psalm. And I titled the sermon, Where Does Blessing Come From? Um, Because I think that's a very intuitive question. I think it's a very important question for us. Because there are a lot of different messages out there today about where blessing comes from. Um, Maybe if I used a different word, a word... um, that is similar to the word used for blessing here. Where does happiness come from? Where does fulfillment come from? Where does joy come from? Um, Maybe you would have a better understanding. Where does happiness come from? Where does blessing come from? Um, Many today in our world would say that happiness comes from making as much money as you possibly can and buying as many toys as you possibly want. Happiness comes from uh, doing what it is that you want to do, your job, your 
your work, your, uh, what you do with your life. Happiness comes from the person that you're with, um, the person that you get to be with, or the persons you get to be with. Happiness comes from um, being uh, able to do whatever you want and not having a boss and owning your own business. There's all kinds of different messages about where blessing comes from, where happiness comes from, where ultimate fulfillment comes from. Well, Psalm 1 communicates to us the true reality of where blessing comes from, where happiness comes from. And it cuts through all those worldly messages that are communicated to us on a regular basis, shoved in front of our face by commercials about what it is that you must have and if you're wanting to be happy. And shoved in front of us by all the different kinds of medications that they think we need to take in order to be happy. Shoved in front of us by all the many different messages communicated to us about what we could do that would finally bring us ultimate fulfillment, bring us ultimate happiness. Psalm 1 cuts through all that to tell us the truth of where blessing comes from. Our theme this morning is the path of righteousness is the path of blessing. Like I said, you could translate that the path of ultimate fulfillment, the path of happiness, although that word become quite shallow in our culture today. The path of righteousness is the path of blessing. We have four points this morning. Uh, the first is, who are the righteous? The second is, who are the wicked? The third is, the two paths communicated to us by Psalm 1. And the fourth is, where does the cross come into all this? Where does Jesus come into all this? The first thing you need to know about Psalm 1 is it has great importance as to how we're supposed to understand the whole book of the Psalter. Um, I'd like to call Psalm 1 like the first day of class. Um, while I was on vacation, we had a, uh, uh, a boat captain that took us out fishing on the ocean, and he was telling us about his time in college, and because uh, we had asked him what were his favorite classes in, in college, and he said, well, one of the the, the, his favorite classes in college was bowling. Yeah, that's right. You can take a credited class for bowling in college. And uh, he said he almost failed bowling. So that piqued our interest. How did you almost fail bowling? Well, he said that him and a couple of his friends didn't show up for the first day of class. And you know the first day of class is always boring. Because the first day of class, this is all that happens. Your teacher sits you down, and he walks through the syllabus one by one, each point, telling you what it is that he expects or she expects from you from this class, the assignments that you need to do, how you're going to take your tests and your quizzes, how often these tests and quizzes are going to happen, what your big projects are and when they're due, um, their rules for the classroom and all this kind of stuff. And you're just like, oh, yada, 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 yada. But if you don't show up for that first day of class, things can happen. So he said, what happened was on the first day of class, the teacher informed them that all their tests and quizzes would be online. And he didn't know that. And so, 75% of the way through the class, his dad got an email alert, which probably, by the way, his dad was paying for college. Why are you failing bowling class? And he said, oh, I don't know. I've been there every day bowling. Whenever the class is there, I'm there. I mean, I've got a perfect participation, perfect attendance. I don't know why I'm failing. Well, he went to his teacher, found out, because he hasn't been taking the quizzes and the tests 
online. So he begged his teacher, please, can we take those quizzes and tests? And the teacher let him take those quizzes and tests. Psalm 1 is like that. The first day of class. It informs the expectations, the interpretive lens, the syllabus for all of the Psalter. This is how we're supposed to view it. Okay? So let's look at that first point, the righteous. Verses 1 through 3. Tell us about the righteous person, the righteous man. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. So the first thing that the Psalm 1 tells us is what the righteous do not do. What they do not do. And what they do not do is they do not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. So this is what they call a progressive parallelism because um, there is a similarity between these phrases. The blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand or sit. Stand in the way of sinners sit in the seat of mockers. Um, so the blessed man does not surround himself with those who would be defined or categorized as wicked. Does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not listen to the ways of the world. He does not listen to the wicked counsel that comes from other messages, from other ways that people are saying, this is how you can be blessed. This is how you can be happy. This is how you can have ultimate fulfillment, right? It does not stand in the way of sinners. The way of sinners is the way of destruction. Or sit in the seat of mockers. And you can hear from these um, labels, the counsel, the wicked, the way of sinners, the seat of mockers, a lot of language that comes to us um, from Proverbs. Um, the language of wisdom, wisdom literature, and uh, what that communicates to us. Uh, Solomon, when he's speaking to his son at the beginning of the book of, book of Proverbs, tells his son, his son important things about the way of sinners and the seed of mockers. In the prologue, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10 and following, My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for someone's blood, let's waylay some harmless soul, let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit, we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we will share a common purse. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net in full view of all the burns. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. You hear in Solomon's wisdom, don't listen to the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. My son, do not follow that way because that way leads to death, destruction. That's not ultimate fulfillment. That is 
ultimate punishment waiting at the end. Ultimate torture, ultimate pain. So, first we read what the righteous do not do. What is it that they do? In contrast to this way, in contrast to listening to all the messages of the world about what it means to be blessed, what it means to uh, have happiness, what it means to have ultimate fulfillment, what does the righteous person do? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So here are the messages of the world. The messages of the world sound like the counsel of the wicked. They look like the way of sinners. It looks like the seat of mockers. And don't get me wrong, it's, it's not always easy to be able to determine what the counsel of the wicked is, what the way of sinners is, what the seat of mockers is. Don't get me wrong, the counsel of the wicked can often come across as seemingly wise. The way of sinners can come across as appealing, often because it's a path that looks safe. It's a path that looks straighter. It's a path that looks less difficult. The seat of mockers, well, that's a lazy boy. I mean, it's a recliner. It looks comfortable. It looks like an after-church Sunday nap chair. So we have to be wise. But where is it that we get that wisdom? And in order to be able to discern what is the counsel of the righteous and what is the counsel of the wicked, where is it that we get that wisdom to be able to say, this is the way of the righteous, this is the way of sinners. Where is it that we get that wisdom to be able to discern, no, even though that looks really comfortable and I want to take a nap in it, that is the seat of mockers. I'm not going to sit there. Where is it that we get that? We get it from God's word. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What does it mean to delight in the law of the Lord? That's why I read Psalm 119 for us this morning, so that you could get it a glimpse, maybe a taste, so to speak, of what it means to delight in the law of the Lord. It means that we trust that the law that God gave us, the word that he gave us, his revelation here in the 66 books of the Bible, is not a mean parent saying, you can't do that. I don't want you to have fun. I don't want you to do the things in life that you want to do. But it's a loving parent who is saying, no, actually what I'm giving to you is the best. It's the greatest. It's the path to success. It's the path to happiness and to blessing and to ultimate fulfillment. If you believe that the word of God was that, good for you. And wonderful to the taste, you know, like sort of like we tell our kids, vegetables, they're good for you. 
but they still don't want to eat them because it doesn't taste good. Well, the Bible is like, this is good for you, and also, it's ice cream. By the way, don't be fooled by healthy ice cream. It's never as good. That's an oxymoron, I would say. Healthy ice cream. If you believe that, would you delight in the law of the Lord? And on his law, on his Torah, on his wisdom, that this God who created the heavens and the earth and is above all and outside of time and space and everything that exists depends upon him has revealed to you, has shown you who he is. Would you meditate on that day and night? Now, the Qumran Society, you probably know because the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in a Qumran uh, cave. They took this literally, uh, his law, he meditates day and night. And so they had people up every hour, 24 hours, reading God's law, meditating on God's law. Is that what that means? No, it means that the principles taught in God's word, that the things that are given here, these are things that we ponder. These are things that we think about. These are things that are on our mind. They've filled our mind. And it's important that they do, because I need to inform you, the counsel of the wicked never stops, even if you don't listen to it. The way of sinners is an escalator. It's always going, even if you never step on it. The seat of mockers, it's always open. No one's ever called it. There's always a seat for you. So those messages, they never stop communicating to you false ideas about happiness and love and, and, and what it means to have blessing and what it means to have ultimate fulfillment. They never stop. And so what we need to combat that is we need the messages of God Almighty in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds to never stop. So that when those messages come to us, we say, that's not right. Because God's word says this, and that's not this. We need to be able to say like Jesus when he faced temptation. It is written. It is written. The Lord said. The Lord said. That is the righteous. What are they like? Because they stand in God's word. They're like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. This is a metaphor, a simile. This is what the righteous are like. They are like a tree planted by the water. And it's important uh, that we acknowledge um, a, a small understanding of, of plant life and agriculture because a tree planted by the water is a, is a very good place for a tree as long as there's not big flooding or something like that because the tree always has nutrients. The tree always uh, has the way to be able to provide for itself. And that's why we read here that because the tree is planted by the water, the leaf does not wither. The fruit is always in season. 
This tree is prospering. Now, um, as if life happened the way that we always wanted it to happen. Now, somebody could read this and be like, well, that means if I believe in the law of the Lord, if I meditate on it day and night, if I delight in the law of the Lord, I am going to be rich, wealthy, healthy. I'm never going to want for anything. I'm going to... uh, going to be like uh, Solomon in all his glory. And then they might wonder, why is it that even though I delight in the law of the Lord and I meditate on it day and night, why is it that that evil, wicked person looks like they're the one prospering, they're the one that's the tree planted by the water. And that's why it's important that when we read wisdom literature, when we read the Proverbs, or when we read Psalm 1, that we understand that what it's talking about is ultimates. You see, in this life, it may seem as if the godly are the ones that suffer. The godly are the ones that are a tree withering, um, the leaves are not holding. The godly are the ones that are a tree planted in the desert where there is no water. But it's the wonderful, glorious reversal at the end of time when Christ comes back. And what's really seen is that the godly are the ones who were the richest even though they may not have had anything in this life. And it's the evil, wicked ones who had all the great big mansions and the cool boats and the, um, the awesome cars, the 16-car garage, and the, the, the four wives and three divorces and, and all that kind of stuff that they had, right? All the money that they could ever have wanted, all the vacation time that they could have ever wanted, all the great things that this world thinks is great, that they're actually the ones that are dirt poor. In the end, they get nothing but eternal torment if they don't repent and believe in Jesus Christ. That's how we can read this and and know. It's not talking about the health, wealth, gospel. It's talking about the eternal life. And it's talking about how if things were as they should be in this world those who followed God's law would be those that everything they did touched, prospered. And it is true that in some measured capacity, not following the ways of this world on the lines of how to get ahead, but living in accordance with God's law and meditating on it day and night can bring kind of measured success and blessing. And it's important for many of us who are recipients of that great blessing, generationally even, of things like people who worked hard, who were honest, um, people who started businesses and who paid their employees well and who cared about them and had honest and, and uh, honor, honored, uh, honorary um, business practices that we never lose sight of that and give thanks to God for those blessings. 
But what about the wicked, though? We've looked at the righteous. What are the wicked? Well, the first thing that we need to read in verse 4 is that there's a negating. That whatever is said about the righteous is not true about the wicked. And that's what the, the word says. That's what Psalm 1 says in verse 4. Not so the wicked. The wicked, in contrast to the righteous, are, um, are not even planted. They are like chaff. They have no roots. And the chaff is like a little tumbleweed that the wind blows away. That uh, is in contrast to the righteous who is like a tree planted with deep roots near a river. This is imagery that will be used by Jeremiah the prophet. This is imagery that will be used in Revelation, the tree of nations, whose leaves never wither and the fruit is always in season. Um, The wicked are not like that. And so if we say the wicked are not like that, then we can go back to what's said about the righteous and we can say, uh, this is what the wicked do not do. The wicked do not delight in the law of the Lord. And they do not meditate on it day and night. Now they, they see the, the law of the Lord and, and what he's revealed is foolishness. In fact, uh, they are those who are sitting in the council of the wicked. Uh, they believe the lies spoken on uh, TV commercials. They believe the lies spoken in false religions. Uh, if you follow this way or that way, they believe the lies communicated by our um, fascination with um, celebrity culture. Uh, that are those in, that are in the limelight are the ones that are the most happy, the most satisfied, most fulfilled with their life. They believe these things. Uh, they are the ones that stand in the way of sinners. Uh, they seat in the, they're seated in the seat of mockers. And they look at God's law and they laugh. They say, you really believe that? You really think that's going to get you ahead in life? If you follow those principles... If you believe in what, what that guy said and that word, you really believe that's God's word, that God actually communicated these things? And you want examples of this kind of person, you can look anywhere. You'll find it. Many places. You'll find it on the nightly news. You'll find it communicated in a variety of TV shows that are popular on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu. You'll find it communicated in sports by professionals and baseball and basketball and football and soccer. They are like uprooted little tumbleweeds blown from this way and that way. They're empty in and of themselves. And every once in a while in this world you'll catch a glimpse, a glimpse of this reality. Don't you? You'll hear that such and such person that looks so glamorous in all their photos when they were walking the red carpet that was so popular because of the films in which they 
participated in and starred in. Uh, they were so wealthy because of all the money that they made and the books that they wrote. And Well, they committed suicide. They were so deeply unhappy. They found that life was meaningless. And it's almost as if you would think that then the more that this kind of thing happens, it would wake people up to the reality that these messages that we're believing about ultimate fulfillment and happiness are, are not true. Yet the next day, people wake up again, oh, that's so sad that that person had everything that I could possibly have wanted in my life and everything that I'm striving after now because I think it'll make me happy, and it didn't make them happy, so they killed themselves. But I'm going to keep trying to do that. What happens then? Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. You remember what I said about this being an eternal lens. Verse 5 makes it very clear. The wicked will not stand in the judgment that comes at the end of time, the judgment that we are all waiting for, the second coming of Jesus Christ, when the living and the dead will be judged, what we proclaim in the Apostles' Creed and in the Nicene Creed. The sinners will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. You know what the assembly of the righteous is? Well, for the Israelite, that would be something that communicated to them the worship in the temple, the assembly of the righteous who would go up the steps into the temple to praise and glorify God. But in eschatological terms, in time terms, the assembly of the righteous is that great vision that we see in Revelation of those who are all in white robes, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered before the throne of God and the land that was slain, praising him and saying, worthy is the lamb. That's the assembly of the righteous. So what we're being told here, we've looked at the righteous, we looked at the, the wicked, what we've been told here is that the ultimate destiny, the ultimate uh, destination, that there's two separate paths for the wicked and for the righteous. Verse 6 tells us that. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's a path of blessing. And there's a path of cursing. This is a theme that we see all over Scripture. It's what's communicated to the people of Israel before they enter into the promised land by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you do this, you will be blessed. If you do this, cursed. Path of blessing, path of cursing. The destination of the righteous, they will stand in the judgment. The destination of the righteous, they will be in the assembly of the righteous. The destination of the wicked, they will not stand in the judgment. They will not be in the assembly of the righteous. But you've got to ask yourself the reason. Why? What makes these two to differ? The righteous and the wicked. Well, verse 6 tells us, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. There is an active 
participation by God himself, watching over the way of the righteous, working in their life providentially, working in their life ultimately through the salvation of his son, Jesus Christ. The way of the wicked, they will perish. There will be an end in their destination. And the end is not heaven, but hell. I want to ask one final question many people have asked, and that is, how does the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ fit into something like Psalm 1? Uh, Psalm 1 doesn't seem to point to Jesus at all. Psalm 1 seems to, to say to uh, anybody that if you uh, believe in God's law, if you follow after God's law, you're called righteous, and if you don't, you're called wicked. Um, and, and if you follow God's law and you believe in God's law and you meditate on it day and night, you'll be saved. And if you don't, uh, you won't. So is this... Psalm 1 communicating sort of a, a work salvation, uh, a salvation of uh, simply uh, following after God's law, working hard at keeping God's law, and, and, and that's, uh, that will bring your ultimate destination uh, to be in the presence of God. Well, there's a number of ways that we could look at uh, Psalm 1 through the lens of Jesus Christ. Um, and that is, the first we could say is that the blessed man... Spoken of in verse 1, blessed is the man, this is a singular term, is speaking of Jesus Christ. He is the blessed man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. He is the blessed man who delights in the law of the Lord, on his law meditates day and night, and he's like a tree planted by the waters. Um, that is Jesus Christ who is the righteous man. And that's one way we, we could look at uh, this, the lens of the cross. Um, a second way that we could look at, at Psalm 1 would be through the um, parallel teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that speak in a lot of similar ways to Psalm 1. Um, so Jesus uh, taught in, in the form of Torah or wisdom or law. Uh, Jesus said to, uh, to us all, if we do not have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of Pharisees, uh, we will not be saved. Jesus said that... Uh, uh, a true teacher is one who, who bears fruit. A false teacher does not bear fruit. Does that not sound like the tree planted by the waters? Um, Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount by saying, Blessed is, blessed is, blessed is. And so there's a parallel there to the teaching of Jesus. But uh, I think the most profound way um, to look at Psalm 1 um, in terms of looking at it through the cross uh, would be to uh, bring a more robust um, biblical theological perspective upon it. And I think that uh, where we are shown the cross in, in Psalm 1 is this. Um, the cross is where the righteous man who did all that Psalm 1 says the righteous person does became the wicked man. You see, we are, we are the wicked in Psalm 1. Um, we are like chaff that the wind blows away before Christ, outside of God. Outside of the salvation Jesus Christ has granted to us 
in his great wonder and grace and mercy, we would not have stood in the judgment or been a person in the assembly of the righteous. It's where the cross, when the righteous one became wicked because he took on our sin. It's where the path of blessing and the path of cursing met. Where we, the wicked, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the righteous, receive blessing instead of cursing. Receive righteousness instead of wickedness. That great exchange happens at the cross. And so when you look at Psalm 1 and you say, where does blessing come from? Where does blessing come from? We say it comes from union with Jesus Christ. Where we then become recipients of all the benefits that are in him, as the Heidelberg Catechism tells us. The path of righteousness is the path of blessing, yes. But it's not as simple as to say, if you follow God's law, you will be blessed. Because we know because of the fall and because of sin, we're not able to keep God's law. We're not able to follow the path of righteousness on our own. We need the grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need to be united to him. And that's why one of the great thematic statements of all the New Testament, particularly the writings of Paul, is that quotation from the Old Testament. That's what he opens Romans chapter 1 with. It's what he quotes in a number of his other letters. How do we follow the path of righteousness? The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The blessing we receive is union with Christ. We get Him and all His benefits. If you want to follow the path of righteousness which leads to blessing, this is what you must do. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him. Follow his ways. Listen to the law of God as his voice. Instructing you. Teaching you. Giving you grace. Giving you mercy. The righteous. The path of righteousness. Is by faith in Jesus Christ. May you believe in him. The son of God who came. Who lived. Who died. Who rose again. Who's coming again who is our Savior. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word here in Psalm 1, a psalm of wisdom. Thank you for the salvation we have in Jesus Christ, who was the righteous one who took away our wickedness and our sin, that we may have blessing, ultimate fulfillment, that we may have eternity with you, Lord, we thank you that you watch over our, the, our ways. And we thank you, Lord, that in Jesus Christ, you have given us true happiness, true blessing, true fulfillment. It's in his name we pray. Amen.